0: Welcome to the Arts Union Science Journal, please enter your password. Science Journal. Welcome back to the journal that intends to analyze movies the way others analyze science. Today, we humbly present the last episode of Volume 6. Or is it the first? Or is it just a completely different special episode? Uh, who's to say? Anyway, this episode is titled, <clears throat> How Christopher Nolan Stabilized the Ground State of the Past, the Shift-Time Supposedly Irreversible Chemical Equilibrium, Likely Using Some Sort of Energy Currency Similar to ATP, but Perhaps More Directly Tied to a Legal Tender, Anyway, Tenet, Colon, A Rope of Sand. My name is Tyler D.R. Vance. As always, I will be your corresponding author. And joining us this week is David W. Brown. How are you doing? I'm
1: fabulous, Tyler. As, as we previously discussed, I, I feel fabulous right now.
0: I've got my McDonald's in hand. <laughs> well, was, what did you get? What What is your go-to from McDonald's? These uh, well, are, this I, is what the people want to know about our first authors, David.
1: All right. Well, I mean, actually, we had sushi. My mom and I had sushi, and then my brother and dad came home. Uh, earlier than we expected and they were like you guys had sushi without us and mom was like yes so then they went and got mcdonald's and i was like i'm still kind of hungry so i i I slipped mad a ten dollar bill i'm like can you you
0: just get me some fries and a coke or something i just i need a little bit more please that's fair that's fair i haven't had anything from mcdonald's in quite a while but some nights i'll lie awake staring (laughs) at the ceiling wanting a big mac so hard like so hard i want it right. so badly craving it absolutely craving one <laughs> absolutely craving one and you know sometimes i would give anything to be able to go back in time and really experience every big mac in reverse all the way to be able to just be like there we go i've done it again and then i can go forward again back and forth back and forth back and forth that's what i would use time travel for if i was allowed mm. it um look fortunately no one has shown up yet from the future or elsewhere to give me time travel because they probably know it would not go to good use
1: but if you ate if you ate a time reversed burger right
0: well if you were it? time
1: if you were time reversed and the burger was time reversed mm-hmm. right you know let for for purposes, you know. Let, let's just say that that happened. Like, that you yeah. brought it with you, okay? And then you took a bite. Yeah. Uh, by the movie's logic, I'm very concerned about what would happen to, let's say, your, you know, digestive tract.
0: Well, I think if the burger is reversed and I'm reversed, we'd be okay. But if we're out of sync in any ah. way, there's going to be problems. Like, if I'm going forward but the burger's going backwards, then yeah, oh, that's going to be... I'm, I'm in screwed for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in for a really bad time. So I was like, so yes, you're right. Maybe I would need to just invert the entire world. So we're all moving backwards, including the Big Mac. Um, what yes. that would do to the past is up for debate. But, um, you know, sometimes you just shouldn't think about it. Mm. Um, all of this has been to very subtly allude to the audience that we are indeed going to be talking about tenant today. Um, yes. And why are we talking about tenant? Um, well, that's because this episode is our special issue, which is otherwise known as the We Do What We Want episode, because following the success of our grant renewal volume, we are carefree and unfettered by the needs of financial succubi. Um, we no longer require is like the powers that be, NSERC, CIR, whoever it is that's eventually going to fund this podcast, still looking for sponsors if you're interested. It's like <laughs> whoever they are. <laughs> Manscaped. Manscaped, Green Apron. It's like uh, no Blue Apron and uh, um, Bridge um, Wallet. Oh yeah, oh, and, and, Squaresoft. and SquareSoft. It's like uh, no, it's not SquareSoft. Squarespace. Oh, it's Squarespace for, for all of your website designing needs. <laughs> exactly. I would I would gladly sell my soul to you for at least enough money to cover the uh, the tickets that I keep buying to go see movies for this podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> all for of my that be said, though, <laughs> All of that to be said. It's like, this is the episode where we get to do whatever we want. And it's like, uh, David, you reached out from the ether that is the internet, having seen that I was partaking on this particularly strange endeavor of talking about movies at length. And you th- said, why don't we talk about Tenet? And really, the response can only be, sure, let's do it. I want to do it. <laughs> I,
1: I kind of I harangued you on Facebook, Tyler. Let's not mince <laughs> words here, okay? <laughs> i definitely i definitely guilt tripped you into uh, allowing me on here to talk about to talk about anything i would have talked about anything but at the time i was like i just saw this i don't know if he's seen it but it's very interesting i'd love to talk about
0: it with yeah, anyone admit, admittedly i haven't it was like, i hadn't seen tenet it was like before this um <laughs> mm-hmm. and so that is like but i had heard like rumblings um but we'll we'll get into that as we go mm-hmm. as we go into the episode proper. Um but before we get started, it's important to remind you that you can always email your corresponding author, which is me, at artgeniuscience at gmail.com, all one word with no caps. You can also find this podcast on Facebook, but not Twitter because I'm afraid that if I accidentally, you know, trundle into that strange space, it's going to completely throw up my throw off my temporal is like entropy and before you know it, I'm just going to be ranting like a lunatic on the ceiling. Um, whilst I go backwards, closer and closer to the time where Netscape was still a thing that we had, um, and I don't want to do that. So you definitely
1: um, do see a lot of yourself from the past on Twitter,
0: <laughs> at least when you're just starting. Yeah, there is something about when Tenet says explicitly, "How do you communicate with the future?" It's like, "Well, we communicate with the future all the time through emails, through Twitter, stuff like." Oh, that is so depressing that that is how <laughs> we communicate with the future. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so with that, we can get into the episode proper, because for those of you who are reviewing our episodes for the very first time, our analysis usually follows the traditional sections present in scientific papers, which means we'll be starting with the introduction, a very good place to start. Section 1. Introduction. Um, so the introduction actually places the film into context, providing a brief history, which is both subjective and objective. And then we also, uh, you know, like to provide a little bit of a a uh, a little bit of a plot summary, um, because we don't care much about people um, who are afraid of spoilers. We care not for the wants and whims of those who have not seen Tenet yet. We are a spoilerific podcast by nature. And so we are going to do a plot summary that I wrote in what could only be described as a feverish rush, Earlier this morning, (laughs) (laughs) that's you know I believe that I really do believe that that you did that, but at the (laughs) same time I'm I'm very disappointed (laughs) considering what our uh, what our recording schedule has been like in terms of you very patiently allowing me like the time that I need and stuff like that and me coming back with these like Dave I gotta push back the recording you can imagine that this is definitely something that was done. I definitely, it, uh, didn't, I definitely didn't hear it in that voice, but now I'm
1: retroactively uh, changing <laughs> the memory to, to you angrily typing on your phone at, at work in the lab. Just like, David, I must push this back. <laughs> it's, it's all falling apart, David. <laughs> your time um, falls to mine.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So the plot summary of Tenet, according to me earlier this morning, goeth thusly. <laughs> During an unsuccessful CIA CIA operation, an agent decides to take a suicide pill instead of cracking under interrogation. Turns out that pill was but a ruse, a facade, a charade, a shadow upon the wall we but think is reality. And by taking it, our protagonist proves himself worthy of a secret organization known as Tenet, a palindromic society embroiled in a temporal cold war against the shadowy figures of the future that are intent on destroying the past, uh, which is our present. What does that mean? Well, see, sometimes in, sometime in the future, some people are discovered how to inverse an object-slash-person's temporal direction so that they move backwards instead of forwards through time. The process is known as inversion, and if completed on a massive scale, the entirety of the universe's timeline shall be inverted so that the folks in the future can march backwards at the expense of the past-slash-present. Uh, okay, but how does that work? Um, well, you see, there's nine artifacts, and when put together, they produce the algorithm- future people can use to invert all of time. Uh, But the person who discovered it got cold feet and then hid the artifacts in the past uh, relative to the future, which is actually the present. And uh, what does that have to do with our protagonist in the CIA again? Oh yes. Right. So now there's this arms dealer in the present that is trying to find these artifacts and bury them in places that the evil people in the future can find them in exchange for inverted gold that's been sent back through time as payment. And uh, yeah, that's what our protagonist is trying to stop. And with the help of many people, including, a very suave Robert Pattinson and a very, very tall woman named Elizabeth Debicki, they are actually able to do just that while going forward through the movie, backward through the movie, upside down through the movie, all over the place. And uh, in the end we is like see that the protagonist is actually not just our protagonist, but the protagonist of this whole timeline, the person who is intensely swinging the pendulum one way and the other. And he is now made aware of this and is going to go on the rest of his journey to set up everything we've just seen in this very deterministic for, uh, version of time travel. Uh, anyway, no more questions. So we can go on to the objective history from <laughs> no here. Questions. No <laughs> questions, no questions. I will, I will take no questions at this time. <laughs> Because like so was that was that okay did my fever self do the movie justice um yeah yeah
1: i think you did a pretty good job that's pretty okay. that's pretty actually impressive for like first thing this morning like scribbling <laughs> on a like piece of paper or whatever well, is like definitely not on a no, piece I, of paper but madly no, no, typing no. on my you know yeah. that that like, gif on, of
0: uh, is like that gif of of like kermit the frog typing it like frantically on a typewriter oh. that that like picture that that's the <laughs> okay
1: yeah 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 just the the yeah yeah the physics induced just swinging yeah. yeah exactly doing
0: the I've doing there the yeah um uh, anyway so the objective history because tenant was actually released against many's best intentions in 2020 to the tune of around 363 million dollars worldwide uh, with a budget of $205 million, that means that we're still in the realm of return, uh, but for a Nolan feature for reference, Dunkirk made it around double that, uh, it wasn't great. That said, it was during a pandemic, so maybe it was great. That said, he was hoping that this movie was going to save cinema, so that wasn't great. <laughs> you know, it's like a back and forth all over the place. On the critical side, things are kind of lukewarm. We have a review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes score of around 69% with an end of 363 critics. And uh, while audiences were slightly more positive, this is a far cry from Dunkirk's 92%. So we have to start asking the questions. What went wrong? Did anything actually go wrong? Or critics and audiences just have a uh, COVID-shaped stick up their ass? What is going on here with Tenet? And it's really that that I'd like to get into in terms of your subjective history. Because I had no subjective history for Tenet. I hadn't watched this movie before. You you asked me about it. But I heard the rumblings. The rumblings okay. of the backlash that critics were saying things. People <clears throat> were calling it incomprehensible. Someone yeah. like, at one point said that Robert Pattinson was the best thing to happen in this movie, which oh, up until a couple of years wow. ago, I would have thought was a major dig against the movie. But now, you know, with the Batman and High Life and, it's like, and the Lighthouse and all of his other artwork, house, you, know, art house stuff, you know, Robert Pattinson is kind of being reclaimed in a way, one shape or form. Anyway what is your subjective history with Tenet? How did you first encounter this? And while we're at it, what has been your history with Christopher Nolan in general?
1: Um, I actually, I can start with the Nolan history if you want. that just to get that. Bring it on. So I I really hadn't dug that far into Nolan's filmography until like recent, like until we kind of like set on doing this. Um, I'd watch the Batman stuff, obviously, um, watch Inception, um, not sure if I watched that with you, actually, or if I watched that with... I probably want. I watched it a lot. Anyway, um, <laughs> I hadn't watched uh, some of the later ones that have come out. Like, I hadn't watched this when it came out. I hadn't watched Dunkirk when it came out. Um, but kind of going back a little bit and, and watching um, things like Memento uh, for the first time a little while ago, just to kind of... It's It's strange how hard and how radically he shifted his entire like film sensibility going from something like that. And then a, like a film later into like the Batman stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Like obviously it, there's a lot of studio influence there that you can, you can tell going into Batman um, and, and probably for Memento just because it's the first time outing. I'm sure the studio had a, had a big like impact on that whole decision-making for how it was going to come together and be presented and everything. But yeah, like I, I really didn't have that much up until uh, Batman. And I really enjoy all three of those films as much as people dig on rise. I I dig on rise too. Um,
0: it's it, it's just problems. fun to do sometimes.
1: <laughs> it is just fun to do sometimes. Um, but, I, you know, I think all three have, you know, like minimal flaw to them. And then, but I, I think are just entertaining films all the same. Um, mostly from a performance uh, point of view. I, I, I feel like that's kind of the strong suit of all of these movies that he makes is just the actors that he actually gets for them and the performances that they dish out for him are always so like deeper than what I think what he even intends <laughs> at times. Yep. I, th- I think it really, his casting uh, director that he has on set with him uh, from film to film to film is probably his saving grace nine times out of 10. <laughs> but uh, right? <laughs> but um yeah on the whole like i enjoy his movies uh that he puts together but I, I definitely do think it's he's in kind of like the david cage uh game equivalent arena as far as a director role goes where it's just like he's kind of insane but as long <laughs> as he has a good team behind him that will wrangle him properly that he'll produce like good product there and uh, Yeah, that's kind of my history with this filmography. Um, as far as the film itself goes, I didn't watch this when it came out, but I heard uh, the rumblings. I I think I'm about as knowledgeable of that as you are, uh, where it came out in the middle of COVID, um, had the kind of bad perception of that. Um, I wasn't really aware of John David Washington at that point. I know he had done... Um, Black Klansman. Uh, I know I'd seen him in um, in trailers for that, so I knew he was a presence. I knew he was Denzel Washington's son, so I, of course, I was going to be predisposed to enjoying whatever performance he was going to give, no matter what. Yeah. But besides that, he actually is like a fantastic actor in this
0: movie,
1: mm-hmm. um, and I'll get into that when we get into it. But yeah, as, as far as like the total timeline history of the movie goes, yeah, I just heard that it had. Uh, filming issues in general where they're because it's a big location movie, right? Like they, they yeah. went to Russia, they went to India uh, to film a bunch of different. And I think India, they were only there for like a couple weeks, like two weeks, maybe. No, yeah, there's very little film that was,
0: takes place in India. So that would make sense. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, um, I hadn't really sat down and watched it up until about two weeks before I, pitch to you on facebook that we should do it Mm -hmm. and it's because i know you like time movies um to a degree uh (laughs) you know it has to it has to be the right kind of time movie and and pull on the right strings right yeah um and i figured this being kind of the lateral experience that it was i figured that you would enjoy it Mm -hmm. um and i certainly enjoyed it um and and what I will say is that like on an initial viewing, it can be pretty jarring um, just to like the, the breakdown of mechanics, I don't think is the problem for people to get grips around. It's kind of the subterfuge that kind of falls into the background a little bit on the first viewing. It's like, what is happening? Who is this? Uh, CIA? Okay. Uh, Guns, arms dealer. uh, Okay. It, It just like kind of, bleeds together into this mess a little bit on the first viewing because you're just so you want to know what tenant is and you want to know what the inversion stuff is and know and see more of that happening and i think that's where the any sort of draw kind of came from as far as like a generalized audience came from Mm -hmm. and when it comes down to it like there's only really a handful of they're good set pieces but there's only like a handful of set pieces that dive into that mechanic Mm-hmm. And uh, show it off for uh, like the spectacle that it is, uh, especially with all the techniques that were used to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and I feel like um, just because of that sort of lateral pacing to get to everything in a way that makes sense, as far as uh, Nolan's um, <coughs> Nolan's direction goes, I think that that was kind of a killer for a lot of people as much as, uh, as much as, uh, The pandemic was as far as the actual turnout so yeah that's kind of my thoughts on it i i we'll get into it we're gonna we'll get into it but i think it's a fantastic movie and i think that people who kind of slagged it off because of either because of covid and they just couldn't get around to viewing it or because they got bored in the first 10 minutes and then just didn't watch any more of it i think that they should give the movie a chance because there's a lot of interesting things happening and a lot of interesting concepts being explored that, like, will hold on to your brain for days on end, just thinking about how did they shoot that? How did they plan that? You know, how much effort went into that? So,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, definitely one of the- those movies that you can appreciate on multiple levels is like when you're in it, and then just afterwards, like, sitting there thinking to yourself, like, how the hell did they do that? It's like, and <laughs> I think that's, um, it's one of those kind of like really fun experiences. And I always really enjoy movies that have like those multiple layers because the fun doesn't end with the end of the film. It's like not only are you going to be yeah. thinking about it, like what does it mean? You're also be thinking about it on the other level, how does it work? Like how do they do that? And then, mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of like Nolan's filmography, it's always fun to try and place these things in kind of an overarching narrative for the uh, the auteur, as it were, and trying to figure out exactly mm-hmm. how that's going to work.
1: It's kind um, of a bitter, a bittersweet uh, ending as well, uh, in a lot of ways, in comparison to like some of the other ones. So I don't know if maybe people kind of looked at that and and just saw that like, oh, this is kind of a downer <laughs> compared to uh, in the in the time
0: period they were in. It's just like, ah, I don't really, I really don't need this right now. <laughs> I was going to say maybe maybe it wasn't more of a downer than his past ones, but simply it was our appetite for downers was at an all time low. <laughs> it's like in twenty twenty. <laughs> I don't need this right now. <laughs> uh, well. That is like that in mind. We didn't since we we are uh, saved from that because we didn't watch it in the in the throes of twenty twenty. We waited mm-hmm. until uh, either twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two, depending on like which of us you talked talking about. So mm-hmm. I think it's t- a good time for us to move into the next section, which is the materials and methods. Section two materials and methods the materials and methods is a comprehensive guide to the equipment and methodology that we use to watch the movie and in theory the information given should be detailed enough to allow others to reproduce the results of our viewing experiences um so would you like to go first or would you like to hear mine first
1: um i'd like to hear yours first because i think mine's pretty boring (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, it's like, so for, for for me, mine is fresh in my mind. So it was like, on a foggy mm-hmm. Tuesday night at around 10pm, like, you have to de-stress from work by stumbling through the terrible PS4 app that is the Canadian streaming service oh. Crave um, oh. to rewatch an episode of Friends for the 100th time, season 6, mm-hmm. the one that could have been, if you're interested. Um, mm-hmm. After the episode is finished, you're going to notice that Tenet is sitting casually in your My Cravings list and decide oh hell why not i have to watch this at some point so i might as well do it now and it's like, and, like it's what, sure why not it was like we're we're so so late on a tuesday like this seems the perfect time to dedicate to an almost two hour long as like, i think it was actually it's like two and a half hours long or something like that yeah maybe. but um so not setting myself up for success here but uh when i queued it up on the 42 uh, inch lg tv and after mm-hmm. a long pause that was uh, intended to get some nutritional media, um, looking around the house, looking, 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 recognizing that there is no nutritional media to be found except for a bag of chocolate chips and a can of cashews. And then you mix the oh. two together to make a poor man's trail mix. Uh, oh. <laughs> so oh. forego any alcoholic supplement, because it is a work day after all. And then proceed to watch mm. Tenet from start to finish in the state of rapt attention that manages to push you past your sleep deprivation midnight and beyond and you're still hooked and then uh, if you want to see a really confused face during your viewing uh, you can have your significant other watch just the car chase sequence nothing else Oh, oh yeah, she literally just it. came into the room and she's like what you <laughs> watching I'm like "Tenant sits down watches the part and she's like, like why is that car drivers. going <laughs> back why is that car going back <laughs> it's a great question Lauren I don't know <laughs> ask me in an hour and a half <laughs> and I'll be able to kind of give you an answer. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was uh, my materials and methods. What was, how did you watch uh Tenet the most recent time? Poor Lauren. Um, the,
1: well, the time, the, the day that I decided I was going to watch it, I just, um, I had, it, I got it physical and cause it has a nice cover. And I was like, Oh, it's a nice cover. I think I'm going to get that. Uh, and I, I booted it up on the blu-ray um on the big screen tv had the lights off i did not uh what did i have i think i had cereal i think i had rice krispies or something like that anyway uh yeah just kind of uh matt and i were both sitting on the couch uh watching it together and we were both just sucked right in like we had the lights off we were just glued to the screen um didn't have like surround audio like the i, I think that this is definitely a movie that if you have some sort of high-def setup. You should definitely be using it for that oh, yeah. if you have it. Um, you'll definitely reap the benefit. but uh, yeah, it was a it was a very good experience. Um, yeah. definitely one that I think I would I I do think I would have preferred it to the theater other than maybe IMAX or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you could have if yeah. you could have scored this in IMAX at some point, yeah you were you were living, you were living
0: yeah i think um, like watching this movie the only other movie i've seen recently that would have benefited more from an imax experience would have been like uh Denis villeneuve's dune like that's the only other oh one i'm like God. yeah that's that that's what that's how that's needed to be watched that's a yeah that's another movie that is just incredible yeah uh i have two questions for you mm-hmm. um like was it uh well actually it's a question and a statement and i'll do the statement first is i always find it funny i have so many first authors that come on this podcast and they're all wonderful people who is like who do is like uh who like really put the time in and like spend time like watching things and make taking notes it's always great Uh to see and it's whenever um, i ask them how they watch the movie they always describe these things i'm like well, that just sounds like the perfect way to watch this movie. It's like it's like you know you're you're. You got the the big screen. It's dark. You got someone there to watch with you. You're chatting about it, and then whenever it's time for me to like say how I did, I'm like, well, it was a Tuesday at around ten <laughs> forty. <1040." laughs> well, I like, kind of just took
1: everything off the kitchen counter and put it in a bowl and just started <laughs> munching on it. <laughs> exactly and then- i definitely hear that on your other reviews i'm like oh man i'm like give this guy a break like so like, just invite him to your house just invite him to your house and have a nice time together watching the movie
0: oh yeah yeah it's like so i just it's like I, I i'm uh I'm, I'm in awe of your of your methodology of watching things however that might decline if you answer the as like this question incorrectly what type okay. of tv did you watch it on Oh, uh 4K TV. No, 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 but I'm talking the brand. <laughs> oh. Um, it's a shitty RCA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's it's it, it's not a Toshiba, so that's alright. No. That, I'm not sure if you're if you're aware of the ongoing blood feud that exists on the podcast between the LG and the Toshiba uh, clan. No, with LG. RCA and LG and Sharp. all the way, dude. Thank you. That is dude. the correct answer. <laughs> Are you insane? People are. Who, who is saying Toshiba? <laughs> Give me names. People, it was just how this happened. Is that the first like four it's like episodes <clears> in a row when we were doing the materials and methods? Everyone's like LG, LG. I'm like, yes, you're all yeah. making the right decisions. <laughs> and then suddenly we got one person that came on and was like, oh Toshiba, and it was just like dead silence. Yeah, dead, dead mic. First <laughs> I, like, hello. Look,
1: <laughs> like, look, I don't want to roast you, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah, but. I'm going to have to roast you a little bit. I'm I'm really sorry, but LG is is far more proven. They're just Rethink far... Rethink your
0: life choices. <laughs> the,
1: the track record is right there, my guy. Like, you can you can just go on to Linus Tech Tips, and he'll just show you the fucking results. Like, my issue is I've uh, had two
0: Toshibas before, and both of them oh. broke the same way. The light on the back went out. And so, like, yeah. so you can effectively... You can take your, your flashlight... And push it right up against the screen, well, and, th- and that's how I had to save my game in Banjo Kazooie because I was literally <laughs> like, "I it's like it like the, the screen was dead." And I'm like, "I can't oh, see." And I'm like, "But no. it's still on." And I was like, "And so I have, I to, have like, to save." I have to save. You know how long I've that's been in this brutal. stupid forest with all the different seasons? I need to get. Oh.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I I think so. I don't, I don't blame this person. Okay, I, I don't, and here's why: because I, I've heard the horror stories of Toshiba. I'm gonna keep this brief, but I, I feel like maybe one in ninety nine models is actually decent.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then right. the
1: rest just have a shit fit. Yeah, but the person yeah. who got the one, they're like, "This was great. I had a great time with this." Is, and you, and it... you'll get a, you'll get a good TV if it doesn't break.
0: But well, it was like our, our do, old but... friend Adam. It's like our old friend Adam who had like the one Xbox 360 that never red-lighted. And I'm like, "How? <laughs> like how did you how did you pull that yeah. lottery number out?" I don't know yeah. how he managed that. Nope, that it's just nope. literally manufacturing luck exactly. Luck of the draw. But yes, I yeah. can I can at least respect RCA and Sharp TVs as like oh, sh- they, they, are the, they are the they are the Switzerland of this of this engagement. Like I'm not going to speak to their quality. I I have no concern. The blood feud is not with them. It is t- it is with mm. Toshiba that I draw my sword. <laughs> what what
1: banner? What banner do you stand by? RCA and exactly. RCA begr- begrudgingly crosses the line to LG.
0: Yep, yeah. is it come it's on got, over, man?
1: <laughs> with its oh. with its subpar brightness settings and its <laughs> and its fifty eight hertz. Thank you very much. Refresh rate.
0: Well, I must say that I do own a Sharp TV in like in like the back room, and yeah. I don't have a remote for it, so I can't mm. get onto it and turn oh, off God. the the was it motion smoothing or the like the oh, that the, yeah, what is that yeah. that the thing that makes it look like it's a reality TV show or like a soap opera? Like I can't yeah, I shut it off. <laughs> like,
1: it's like it's like that weird yeah that weird motion blittering or whatever that it yeah, does it's, that it's like smooths out real. the pixels.
0: Yeah, I don't like that. real. Like no, so like I, I don't want. I try not to watch movies that I really am interested in them visually. On that, um, I'm not really that big of a snob when it comes to like visual stuff, as you can tell by the way in which I watch movies. It kind of like okay stumbling um, through life, but I, I am. And wh- what I have to say on that <laughs> is that
1: I find that I find that that, that like the higher refresh uh, blending thing is fine in a slower movie like if if you have a very intimate uh slower movie it's fine i think if it's like action based yeah 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 or or something like juno or something like that yeah. you know like anything that is all about using those like hobbit cameras to just get right in like get the details all in frame right i think that's yeah. fine like mostly shot from the shoulders up, not a whole lot of camera movement, that sort of thing. <laughs> but the minute, the minute you get anything action based, it
0: all just becomes Transformers garbage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heaven help us if you watch Char- Transformers on that. <laughs> oh, you might as well just shoot the TV right there. You'll never
1: get those dead pixels back by the time yeah. that movie's over.
0: Yeah, this is like this is this would be a great time to transition to the results and discussion section. But I have to say before that, did you ever see that Red Letter Media video where they tried to watch the three Transformers movies at the same time? I've watched every Red Letter Media video that's ever come <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I watched
1: that. Yeah, it was good. Oh,
0: God. It, it was just like by the end, like I wasn't even like, I know I wasn't even there. I was just kind of watching my like, little snippets. I'm like, this is oh, like, yeah. just uh, overload. Like I can't uh, it's focus. Awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's, it's like just watching someone's 3D Max
1: project explode in front of your face. Like... <laughs>
0: Oh, we're, we're taking a lot of shots at people this episode, whether it's Toshiba or it's like uh, Juno or, it's like, or Transformers, but for completely different reasons. Um, and so- well, yeah, LG, sponsor this podcast, <laughs> you, ca-
1: you cowards. <laughs>
0: you cowards. What are you, even,
1: what are you doing with all your thousands? You should be donating to this podcast and give this man a fresh 75 hertz 4K LG
0: monitor yeah so i can watch it at ten thirty-five so at night can, so he can do his job you heathens <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe this will work i say i like the aggressive the aggressive tone i say i feel like it's you like can't the, the, play with these people tyler the pleading the bargaining wasn't working the anger
1: will work tyler, these people take advantage of people on the so, daily so it would seem so it would you seem. have to take your cut as fast as possible <laughs>
0: Well, on that note, I think this is a great time (laughs) to enter into the results and discussion section. Section 3. Results and Discussion Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with scientific publications in general, the results are the meat and potatoes of any scientific publication, because that's where you're actually going to present your newly acquired data and the frameworks that you use to analyze them. Um, The discussion, meanwhile, comes afterwards, usually, and it actually connects your work to all the work that's been done. Around it, asking key questions about its yeah, your work's place in the wider canon, and hopefully answering them. Uh, here we talk enough about random things like uh, LG and like, and all sorts of things. I can't even remember what we were talking about before we started Elden Ring. I think so. Yeah, it's like um, all that to be said. We don't have the time to have a separate results and discussion section. So instead, we cram them together, just like the like the uh, the journal PNAS. You know other people do it too we're not weird leave us alone um so yeah so we're just going to do them together results and discussion section and uh like how we usually do we have our own homebrewed analysis model that we're going to frame the discussion and the results around um and we're using i believe actually we never really confirmed this but i believe we're probably using the lorenz's detractor model um yeah that's probably the easiest way to go yeah um, it's a good model if you're just in the mood to chat. Because it was named after Edward Norton Lorenz, a meteorologist and mathematician heralded as the father of chaos theory and its most popular offspring, the butterfly effect. Um, this mode of film modeling, transcripts, whatever it is, um, when we use it for a film analysis, it begins with a simple question. What did you think of the movie? And from there, a combination of unknown variables, some external, most internal take over, forging a free-form discussion with twists and turns beyond prediction. Uh, the starting question may be the same every time, but there's no telling where the conversation will be swept off to. And so in keeping with our homebrewed analysis model and the rigid rules that I set for this podcast and hold to like an iron Titan, um, I have to uh, ask the question. what did you think of the movie, David? Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, <Fine>. <laughs> <laughs> so one word. I'm done.
1: No, that was oh. it. Mike, draw. <laughs>
0: Conclusion, please.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was easy, man. Look, we don't... It's not even going to be like a two-hour podcast anymore. <laughs> You're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a. I. I. I feel like I had the f- reaction the first time I watched it that everyone did when they watched it, which was like, I liked it, but I didn't understand everything that I liked about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If that yeah. makes any sense. Like, yep. there's a lot of obvious things that are really satisfying to watch like the action is all completely satisfying to watch and and neil's performances are great and john david washington i'm look be prepared for my three-hour dissertation at the end of this just talking about how amazing john david washington is
0: so it's like this is going to be like atlas shrugged where we're going to have the whole book and then at the end you're like okay we're just going to so anyway, walk across a hundred pages to talk about john david w- did you see that beard it was a good beard man very jeez. anyway um yeah no
1: i i did enjoy it the first time i watched it but like subsequent viewings i, I think i've watched it three times since uh january and every single one just has like a little bit more insight and a little bit more um, for you to pay attention to. You let your brain just kind of do the background work for the things that you already know and have already seen. Just lets you really, really soak up the um, soak up the entropy of some of these scenes that are going on um, and really like really, really dig into those, tiner my tiny minute little uh details of the, of the filmmaking in general that uh yeah. just pop out so well.
0: Yeah, it was this was a very interesting experience because going in with it like I was primed from critics to think that this wasn't going to be very good. Um mm-hmm. but I say like, over and over again I have to like teach myself the lesson that the word good means nothing in terms of like movie discourse because it's like mm-hmm. it's like what what does that even mean? And so I, I'm going to share my thoughts on the movie, but first, I would like to share a story a story from back in the days like of uh as, of my youth, where I went to a symphony Is like um not because i was uh I was particularly fond of the symphony, but because it was for a school trip, and mm-hmm. it's like uh they were playing this song, and they had a solo clarinet player, and the entirety of the time she just was squeaking and squeaking <sighs> all over the place. And I remember coming out of that and like me not knowing anything being like, wow, that was terrible. She did a terrible job with that. And then like I was talking to our music teacher afterwards and she's like, no, that's how the piece is supposed to be played. It's written to sound like that. I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah. And can you imagine how hard it is to consistently make your instrument break in that way, to consistently make the clarinet make those sounds that usually you only make by accident like how do you actively do that it's like and i got the same feeling as i was watching this movie because at the at the beginning when i was watching it i found like the editing of this thing is so jagged and jarring and quick it's like mm. it's like every scene nothing breathes it's like it's, it's like we're no. sprinting through this movie and you usually see that in movies um especially ensemble movies at the very beginning when they're trying to set up so many characters. So they spend like 15 seconds over here and that's 15 seconds over here. And you get that feeling like I'm not grabbing a hold of anything. This is bad filmmaking. And so mm. o- immediately I was kind of like, Oh, so this must be what people are talking about. Like apparently Nolan just lost his touch when it came to editing and we're just like sprinting <laughs> through this all yeah. plot, no substance. And then as the movie progresses, I start to recognize that like, Oh, no, this is intentional. This is like an intentional choice on his part. This editing style is definitively on purpose. And the feelings that I'm getting, the feelings of breathlessness, of desperately trying to keep up, of like complexity and like, could I just take it? No, okay. That feeling is what he's going for here. And I'm like and so it, it was just like that lady with the clarinet. I'm like, you manage to play your instrument, quote unquote, badly on purpose to create the intended emotional response that you're going for. And like, I don't think that that can, it can be overstated just how difficult that is to do and pull it off. And I think that he managed to pull it off really well here. I think that this movie is missing a lot of the things that most people would determine needs to be in a quote unquote good movie. But I think it showcases that, that sort of prescriptive, you need to do these things in the movie has no value It's like when you have people who know how to break the instrument quite this well.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think a large part of that just comes from his inherent interest with the subject matter. Cause he's a, he's a time nut. Like oh, yeah. he just he loves the gimmick so much. And this is the movie where he's just like, okay, like it feels like he's trying to write a love letter to this concept. Right. It's like I've been making my career off of what just the cool contraption that is time manipulation for as long as I can, whether it be something as you know as long standing as Memento and the way it's edited because it's edited like a it is edited like a nightmare, but it's baked into it's the style, like it's the style yep. of the film. It's supposed to have you like it's basically imposing the feeling of short-term memory loss to you yep <laughs> as you're watching it <laughs> and it th- like that feels like like the maximum end of the spectrum and i feel like this movie is kind of like a c- just a couple steps removed from that because he realized it was just a little too much at the time and he's just like okay i want to incorporate that back in because of how close it ties into um the themes and and the feeling that he wanted to get across um but on a general level i think it just works so well like as you're watching it like when i watch it i didn't think it was too jarring later on during some of the action pieces i was like uh, this is a little too much like you, this is cutting way too fast i'm, I'm losing track of things you know I I definitely felt it in, in like the car chase at first. I was like, what is going on?
0: <laughs> yeah, but the great thing about that is you you're gonna see it in reverse. <laughs> you get to watch it twice. So it's like that way you can yeah. you can really put it together. <laughs> and there like the way that the film is
1: can like getting you conditioned almost for the second watch. Like the second watch is pretty mandatory for this thing. Cause like when you go in knowing what the gimmick is and you start looking ahead of time for the, uh, the backwards walking and, and like, uh, when the protect, when John is at the airport terminal, like brushing past Neil Patrick or the, yeah, brushing past Neil and going into the machine and then coming out to fight himself in, in the first go around or whatever. And you're just keeping an eye out for that. And it happens. And you're like, ah, like, (laughs) I can't believe they shot that.
0: Well, I just can't believe that they shot a fight scene from two perspectives where the two Mm. are moving in reverse orders and it works in both like directions. Like when you're watching it from the one direction, like it makes sense that what uh, our lead character is doing. I'm like, yeah, okay, this makes sense. And then you watch in the reverse, way, you're like, and it still makes sense. I'm like, how did you do that? (laughs) Yeah, like he's in both instances, he's learning
1: how to deal with fighting someone who is inverted. and the second time when he like one of the interesting uh things i was kind of because i watched a couple essays on the movie as well um Mm -hmm. just about like uh interesting things uh that they put in and little details things like that like how painful it must have been for the character uh in the back half of the movie when he's got the gunshot wound like being recreated backwards, essentially up until the moment that he gets shot in the, uh, original go around. And it's like, he like, he's like, Oh, my arm's hurting or whatever. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse until you get back to that moment. And then the bullet like exits back out and the (laughs) arm is fine. And and then he can continue the rest of the movie completely fine. And it's just such a nice little self-contained detail. And, that attention to detail just doesn't leave the movie any anything that ever gets inverted and has to do with the core plot he paid so much attention to like meticulously make sure it was going to line up correctly for the reshoot or for Mm -hmm. the second shot and it's like yeah it's just
0: baffling well yeah and it's it is interesting to think about like what Nolan's fascination with time is it's like, and is it like, does he have a fascination with the concept or has he just tapped into the fact that I can do really cool things with the art of editing and filming in is like in order to basically mess up, mess with your mind. because um, like, yeah, definitely Memento was a good example of that. But he also does it in um, like Interstellar and even in yes. Dunkirk. Like Dunkirk is a movie that effectively just like there is no time travel, there's no time no. manipulation or anything, but it just takes place at three different time points, and we are yeah. like watching as those moments converge us, on themselves. Yeah. yeah, it's like and it's uh, so in that way it just like he even when he's doing a simple war story, he still can't get away from the conceit. <laughs> you no, know, he's like I have to do a neat time thing. I just have to do it. It's it's in my it's
1: in my M O at this point. I have to do it.
0: Yeah, well, kind like, of like M Night Shyamalan with like having to have a a, a twist at the end or it's like it's his calling yeah. card in a lot of ways. The only movies where he doesn't do it are probably the Batman movies and um mm-hmm. in in probably Insomnia. Uh which mm-hmm. I admittedly have never, I've never seen Insomnia. That's what that's I think his only movie other than his first Following which I haven't seen.
1: That one I didn't watch either and and when I was going back through the discography, I saw it and I was like, I looked at um it has Robin Williams in it
0: mm-hmm. and yep. um uh, oh Al Pacino. Not, not De Niro. Yeah, Al Pacino. I was yeah. saying De Niro, but it's not. <laughs> the other angry, angry, angry time guy. I watched a
1: trailer for it and I was like, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot more studio interference in it, but I, I only watched a trailer, so I can't really comment on it. it yeah. Like, I, I feel like it, when you watch the trailer for something like Memento 2, you, you don't really get the full sense of what What's you're getting on, yeah. into. So, yeah, it's probably fine. But yeah. just the, the way that they film it is very centric on Al Pacino's side for the trailers and it's like a it's like a murder mystery uh looking mm. thing. So I was like yeah. I was interested, but I didn't I ultimately didn't track it down.
0: So. Well I always I always have this kind of like ongoing theory in my head about like directors and how they really have only like three to five different things they're really interested in and every movie is just them changing the mix, like turning up the volume on this one, turning it down on this other one. Like I think Like time is definitely one of Nolan's um, like big effects, like big jaw-dropping like set pieces is a big thing in his filmmaking. Uh, The other one is this kind of fascination with like familial loss, like loss of a family member, like it's whether it's like the dead wives in like in uh, Memento or is like Inception or Dunkirk, is it not Dunkirk or Interstellar, like all these lives oh, yeah. It's like, it's like uh, or if it's like even in this movie, like how we get no motivation from our lead character other than I want to save the world. And for some reason, I really don't want Elizabeth debicki and her kid to die. It's like, and yeah, you know, it's like, and it's like, it's one of those situations where you can see it. Like, he that's another thing in the mix. It's always this kind of idea of like him the worst thing he can imagine is losing his family. And so that's always mm. baked into it. And I think that was Al Pacino and it's like in, in uh, insomnia as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of Elizabeth Debicki? Because it was like, we will, we will get to your dissertation on uh, John David Washington's like uh, at the appropriate time as, like, and also in the conclusion, I will wax poetic a little bit about Robert Pattinson and my newfound man crush. But Ooh. I was like, I am interested in knowing as like, uh, what do you think of Elizabeth Debicki? Was this your first time seeing her in a movie? Actually yeah, I think so. Um yeah. at least from
1: recent memory. I don't know if I've seen her in anything else
0: like uh in her younger age, Did you age see uh what was it? Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Oh, yeah. She's she like she's the Gold Lady, like the head of the gold oh. like the gold aliens in that. Really? Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah, she, and she's also in the movie Widows um by as like by Steve McQueen, which is the movie that I've seen her in for and that's when I was like, "Oh, this woman is amazing and she's super tall." And like, <laughs> um
1: well, yeah, I, I haven't really... Yeah, I didn't really watch her in anything else. Like, I... And I forgot about the card scale. But uh, she had a lot of... She had a lot of good gravitas in this. And I, I really liked her... I really liked the dynamic between her and John and Seder in this. I, I really liked that triangle of power play that they had going. Like, like the amount of times that she's just... Fighting in the movie to try and regain control, and then Seder just brushes it, like ign- ignores it for half of the movie because he's just like, "Yeah, I, like you can't touch me. Like I'm sorry, but like, like you are not getting out of this situation. I am. I am the one in control." And um, the fact that she just, ref- like, she's so, she's so betrayed by Sator and and so demoralized because of his presence that she just she doesn't open up to the protagonist until like pretty much the 11th hour like after she's been uh she's been reversed essentially and had the bullet taken out and and recovers for like that final act to kind of go through like all through it um like she was willing to just ignore his plan and just shoot Seder uh the first chance that she met him uh when he invited her to uh, check out those quote unquote art paintings that happened to be arms Yep. <laughs> arms dealings. <laughs> um, and then he uh, kind of chastises her and chases her down with like that. You don't, you know, you don't negotiate with a tiger. You admire it until it turns on you. And, and that just really set the tone for what a narcissist he is and yeah. like how beset she is by that. And uh, yeah, I liked it. I liked I just liked how she played off of John too. I think they had really fucking great uh, chemistry going out yep. throughout the entire movie. Uh, even when they like hate each other's guts, <laughs> trying yeah. to try, like they're both trying to accomplish what they're, they want to accomplish. And, and they just see the others like kind of getting in the way a little bit. They, they still have a great dynamic there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And it's like, it is one of those scenarios where like, I feel like in this movie, the two the two types of actors that work really well are those who can keep up with its ridiculous pacing, and those mm-hmm. who, by their sheer presence, can like yeah. force the movie to slow down. And I think she's probably the only actor in this that can force the movie to slow down. Is actually, I think it's her and Kenneth Branagh who plays the yes. Seder. They like, but from completely different emotional ideas. Like her melancholy, her despair is what really slows the picture down in moments and forces mm-hmm. you to like appreciate probably one of the few emotional touchstones you're going to have throughout the course of Mm. this very analytical, very expository filled movie. Yeah. Well, Sator's is a much more anger. Like it slows you down because it startles you in terms of how angry and over the top he can get.
1: Yeah. John, John is very much just like a force of nature as, as much as like the, like the uh, entropy itself (laughs) a little bit. Yep. And Neil and Neil and Kat and Sator, are all like the emotional groundwork that you have to work with, uh, as far as the actual, uh, movie goes.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: John is just kind of your, your funnel essentially through all of that to experience these people and how they're experiencing the, uh, the events and everything. So it's cool. It's kind of, he's almost like, I wouldn't say he's a blank slate. Cause he has a lot of, he does have a lot of presence, mm-hmm. but yeah. I feel like he is that, you know, naive, uh, kind of um i mean he has the the protagonist so it kind of makes (laughs) sense but he is that like audience uh lead-in right like he's supposed to be kind of holding your hand and guiding you through this world while he learns about it himself so which which Uh, is
0: one of always one of those impressive things right like how is like having a uh a character perspective and like character who mm -hmm. i mean an audience perspective character who picks up picks it up way faster than we do so like to the point that like like 20 minutes in he's already like machinating things and like having these chats with like robert pattinson about how they're gonna do the heist stuff like that i'm like no 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 no. wait 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 can't you ask more questions come back come back (laughs) oh
1: the 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 first warning sign is when uh he gets explained by the professor about how the entropy works it's just like Mm -hmm. you're not shooting the bullet you're catching it and the two seconds pass and he's like whoa and then i'm i was like no, you need to explain that. No, you don't get to say whoa. Way more she <laughs> needs to keep talking. You can't just cut her off like that. But no, it's just it's, it's part of the breakneck speed is, is, and he just falls right into that. It, it, the movie's almost paced to him pretty well, actually, like I, to his sensibilities of everything. Like he's has comes off like this, you know, smart guy, uh, problem solving guy, and it just has to keep up with him almost as we have to keep up with him as best as we can almost and sometimes the movie is just shaking us off as much as it is and we're trying de- trying desperately to get back in and be like wait 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 yeah
0: yeah no i definitely think that that's kind of like an intentional aspect of the movie like did did you ever see the, i i the movie syriana
1: Um, I didn't.
0: It's got George Clooney and a bunch of other people. It is the most confusing movie I have ever watched in my entire life. And it had a similar pacing to this. Is Um, that movie
1: like, uh, Three Kings or something? It's like...
0: so there's a movie called three Kings that has George mm-hmm. Clooney in it, which is also set in like, I think it's during the Gulf war. Um, yeah. Syriana is more in like contemporary and it's more based on oh. kind of like the, uh, the CIA's intermachinations of like foreign policy, all about like oil interests mm-hmm. mixing with military interest in like, kind of like leaders and like the CIA and US's tendency to, um, shall we say, uh, not treat them with a whole lot of autonomy. Oh. Yeah. And so, All of that sort of like builds into this, like there's like seven different main characters and they're all kind of vaguely interconnected. And the things that they're doing are impacting other people, even though they never share like screen time together. Um, Mm. I watched it when I was younger with my dad and literally we both came out the other end of that. We're like, so that was like incoherent. Like I have no idea (laughs) what happened there. And I've wanted to revisit it so many times because I've gotten better at being able to parse out movie plots and be able to like pick up on a lot of that stuff. Um, And so when I was watching tenant, like literally I was like 40 minutes in, I'm like, I haven't felt this way since I was like 14 (laughs) years old, trying to piece together why George Clooney was having his fingernails ripped out. Yeah. No, I got, I got about,
1: mm, where do I want to cut off? I I want the airplane terminal. When the mm-hmm. airplane terminal happened, I was, I immediately, I didn't check out, but I was immediately like, oh, I got to watch this a second time. Like, I, like <laughs> that, that, just that, I, that sign was just in my brain from that point. On. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to watch and absorb what I can. Yeah. Ready for a second viewing in like a couple of weeks. Okay, here we go. <laughs> and yeah. then I was like, I don't know. I, I, I think it kind of helped actually shutting my brain off a little bit. I, I was just kind of like absorbing information as it was coming. And mm-hmm. at that point, it's just like, at that point, you're you're getting pretty close to like the Ives, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson explanation of things like the pincer movement and all, and yeah. just uh, just no regard for the viewer at that point. Just like okay, exposition time. This is how this works. This is what we're doing here. This is what Sader do. And it's
0: like, uh, uh, <laughs>
1: like <laughs> it's just an overload of information. And it's like, and like. It, just like he's been through the rest of the movie, John David Washington is just like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Okay, I'm going in reverse time. Okay, good. And he just goes through the thing. I'm like, I was just staring at the screen, and I'm like, why are you going through that right now? Are you insane?
0: Oh, there's. I'm like, the, yeah, how yeah, did you
1: agree to do that so fast? I my favorite part of that, by the way, is like the two times that I've Aaron Taylor Johnson is just like, this is cowboy shit.
0: <laughs> I was like, I agree, this
1: is cowboy shit
0: this is temporal cowboy shit this is john wayne meets marty mcfly cowboy shit <laughs> exactly john oh. this
1: this guy watched terminator one time and now he's set for this for this intercontinental espionage time inverted you know
0: life-saving procedure oh yeah there's there's so much like about this like so Inception was an interesting ex- experience in my life because mm. I'm very rarely watch movies and it's like, and think of like plot holes or pl- plot problems. That's not right. a thing that happens for me. Like I am just usually too invested. I'm too focused. And, mm-hmm. um, but Inception is one of those weird movies where like literally like the main conceit is like, and the main ideas are, is explained to you at least seven different times throughout yeah. the course of the movie in seven different ways. Like they really wanted you to get it. And I feel Mm -hmm. like Tenet, he literally went out of his way to basically be like, there are going to be moments in this where your understanding of everything that comes next is hanging on you having heard that one garbled sentence that someone just said to you. Watching with subtitles, key. Very useful, I must say.
1: (laughs) I think we need to talk about that. Um, My, I don't know if it's just the stereo setup that we used when we watched it it was it was fine for us um mm-hmm. i think the worst part was probably um was probably the uh that scene in the inversion uh ter- not the airport terminal but the um in the warehouse where Seder mm-hmm. is and he's yep. inverted and he's doing the reverse interrogation essentially yep. with a uh, cat i was like like there's audio delay happening because you're hearing his backwards speech and then you're hearing his forward speech and then you're hearing john david being like wait 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 wait," and then you're hearing like a cat screaming and it's just like too much audio noise garbage going on for you to parse everything out mm-hmm. and you're just like what did he even ask <laughs> like <laughs> what did he even ask him like i feel about as helpless as he does right now and if if that came out the same way to him i'm sure that's the why he's reacting
0: the way he is just being like wait
1: wait wait please give me 2 seconds
0: <laughs> well definitely like the the even the subtitles were hard to read in that thing because they were mm-hmm. like overlapping with each other it would say like yeah. reverse talk and then it would start the like the the thing I'm like oh that's going to be hard to be able to figure it out it was a cool effect and i think that one really worked for me mm-hmm. it, and i think that like you know because there was a lot of complaints when the movie came out about like the mix being bad about how like the music yeah. or the sound. I didn't really notice that in this. It's possibly because they actually changed them. They might've changed the mix. Um, after yeah, the I, theater experience as I, I feel like that's probably what happened because I didn't have any of those issues.
1: Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what happened there. Cause I, I didn't, again, I didn't have really any bad times with it. Um, there was some, a little bit of quietness, but I, I was like, uh, to be fair, that this was at the point where I was already checked out. Uh, I shouldn't say checked out. But, like, at the point where I was like, okay, I'm watching this again. So I just was kind of picking up what I did. And then subsequent rewatches, I was filling in um, filling in the gaps and, like, getting that. And I think it's, I shouldn't really compliment it on that. Like, I shouldn't be complimenting for being like, well, it was clearer the second time. So, really, I got, I got a fuller package the second time. But, like, yeah, it's just uh, what I heard on launch was, yeah, the mix was very bad. like apparently the audio is mixed so low and then like everyone is taught like at the brisk pace that they're having conversations like the conversation with um oh god hold on let me go into my notes real quick so i can read who that guy's name is that i can't remember michael cain michael cain's character Mm, yes when he and john are having the back and forth banter poor dear old michael cain is so old I love him so much, but he's, he's getting there. He's getting to the point where there's a little bit of, there's just enough drag going on in his speech yep. to where I was like, and and he was eating in the scene too, which didn't help. I was like, I was struggling to, mm-hmm. to keep up with what he was saying. Like they're yep. having, they're talking about the the British suits thing. And I was like, I didn't laugh, because I was, like, I had, like, a 10-second, de- like, delayed reaction to that, because, like, oh, he was talking about the suits. That's why that was funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like Grandpa Simpson. Like, was like react, a, Dad. Yeah. Baloney. <laughs> yeah, baloney. No, it was, like, a family guy, stu- like, explaining the joke moment, almost. Mm.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like the editing also, like, contributes to that. Because as you said, you'll Mm -hmm. pick it up if you only had like a couple more seconds of silence, but it was there's no silence. It's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, So to the point that like, the only line I remember clearly from that is the very last line where is I think uh, is like Washington basically says to him, like, the The British don't have a monopoly on snobbiness. And he says, not a monopoly, more of a controlling interest. And I, yes. <laughs> I did really enjoy that. I thought that was that a was great a- way to finish that.
1: <laughs> there's, oh, there's so many good lines in this movie. Like there's one liners in this movie.
0: Like, it's a very,
1: it, I don't want to get ahead. But I, I do want to say it's a pretty quotable movie if you've actually watched it. The, the problem is not a lot of people watched it. Well,
0: I think <laughs> so, you also have to watch it several times in order to be able to quote that it <laughs> too. Yeah, so you have to watch
1: it three times before you can quote the very cool quotable thing. But there's there's some great shit in here, like like there's that. All, almost everything out of Kenneth Branagh's mouth is gold in this movie. Yeah, like his his. Bad Ukrainian accent that he has going on is so endearing to listen to, and he's trying his best. He really is. <laughs> it's but it's 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 literally like GTA Four quality. Like, hey, my God! Like, it's so <laughs> it's it's so a British person trying to do any other accent, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I great, can definitely Go that.
1: It's great though. It's it's yeah. genuinely very good, and the fact that he has such like an intimidating presence that you that you actually do resonate with like wow this guy's an asshole like it's not funny like i like the accent is there and you're aware of it but but i was
0: watching i'm just like no i i hate this man (laughs) i want to see this man fail well yeah and it's his whole motivation is interesting what i found kind of cool is that like unlike Inception where like the, the, the conceit is, is present very early on. You're like, Oh, okay. They're stealing shit by going to people's dreams. Okay. I got it. It's like this one, like this idea, like it starts off, it kind of molds, like it mutates throughout the course of it. Like at the beginning, we only have, okay, there's some war that happened where things in the future, where things are like inverted. And then as we like move a little bit past that, it's kind of like, okay. So there are people in the future who seem to be actively doing these things. And then it kind of comes to the fruition at the end where we kind of recognize this isn't just like some evil group of like people. This is just kind of like society, like human society has run out of gas where it's like, we've like broken the planet We're to the end where it's kind of like, there is nothing to look forward to. And they figure that their only answer is to turn around and head in the other direction. Um, and I just find that to be such an interesting like kind of concept, because even movies like Interstellar, which you know is ha- is you know you can say is its theme is about like the the intangibility of love and how it connects us across dimensions and all that sort of stuff. Very like weird like heady things that could either be the most insightful thing you've ever heard or something that a five year old <laughs> said. It's like uh, it's like was like, and so you're like it's like it's unclear which one it is. It's like, but at yeah. the same time, Interstellar still has a very heavy environmental message of like. It is. It is it is two thousand one. A space odyssey, but it is not for the same motivations. We are not leaving Earth to find what's out there. We are leaving Earth because we have destroyed this thing to the point that all what's out there is all yeah. that's left for us. And I think yeah. that that kind of pessimism of like our future as a species is still very much present in Tenet, but doesn't really mm-hmm. rear its head until the very end.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like that's kind of something that's in a lot of his like um personal sci-fi stuff like Interstellar, Inception and this all kind of have that sort of very pessimistic um it's, it's strange like it, he has a the like the grander idea of the plot is usually very pessimistic uh in design yep. but then I feel like he is he is trying his damnedest to inject some like compassion and sympathy into this thing to be like no like there is a lot of um there is a lot of beauty and a lot of uh uh, worth protecting Mm -hmm. uh in the in these uh different universes that he has going on like interstellar you know the the fourth dimensional thing i don't want to talk about that (laughs) <laughs> that, that was kind of a wash like i was on board with that up until like the 11th minute where it's oh, I, he was in the daughter's bedroom all like I, up until then i was i was actually on board with it i loved the robots and how much humanity he injected into the robots yep. um the scene of him watching his family grow older and he's just bawling because he's yeah. just watching it all that yeah, that's that's, that's pretty inspired um you know compassion driven Uh, direction but for this there's not a whole lot i think going on that way it's just kind of like there's kind of the dude bro romance between neil and uh john Mm -hmm. that uh you have going on like that's that's a big element of it and that doesn't really get fleshed out until the like very end almost Mm -hmm. um And, uh, and obviously the things with cat and, um, how it, I mean, it's still kind of a pessimistic message there as well, that even up until the 11th hour, when everything is popping off and they're saying like, don't kill him, don't kill him yet. Don't, we didn't give you the, don't do it. And then she's just like, I'm sorry, but this is the right thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I need to, I need to kill this guy. Like he needs to die and he needs to know that he failed. (laughs) like it's yeah and even like the very ending as well like i I just feel like for as much character as the movie has i don't feel like it has the heart that um you i don't know i don't think you really expect heart from nolan movies but when it's there it's such a nice surprise and it Mm -hmm. and and it does feel genuine when it happens but i feel like this I don't know if it's just because of the production conditions or something like that, but I I don't know. He just couldn't wrap it up in a way that was really um, he tried. Like he tried his damn like very end where it's just like, oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to look after Kat and look after that child who who, Internet forum trolls are going to posturize that Neil and Max are the same person. So it's going to be a weird, you know, it's going to all tie together. I know it. And it just doesn't. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah well it's it's also to be said in some ways this is like nolan's most nolan-y movie in the Mm. way that like there are things as i think i said before that like prescriptively need to be in a movie in order for it to work that you can feel are kind of added to christopher nolan movies either as you said because of studio interference or because he knows that they need to be in a movie in order for it to work Mm. and you can almost feel like he was kind of like what if i just made a movie that had only the things that kind of I wanted in it instead of all the stuff that like other people says should be in there, would Mm. I enjoy it? It's like, and it's like, and would it work? And I think like the answer is kind of like, yes, like I don't want every movie to have the emotional depth of this film, because I feel Mm. like that would be make for a very shallow. It's like, um, Mm. overall like pool in which does it go through? But at the same time, if I'm like, like if, if the movie is going to have that level like that kind of like surface level emotional input you better have another good reason for me to be here and i think there's a million and a half other good reasons to oh, be yeah. here so i don't need this film to also be trying to like give me the emotional catharsis that something like the power of the dog is going for like i don't yeah. need a character study is like out of this thing i say if it's going to be a lot of really cool like machinations some really intense editing choices that make me feel as flustered as the characters are on screen. And I like, um, must say, a very good score. Um, not from Hans Zimmer, which is an, a, no. a, a, a thing that is uh, different for a Nolan film.
1: Um, so actually, I have the guy's uh, some of his credential here. Uh, Ludwig Goransson. Mm. Uh, and he's kind of a productionist more than anything and he's worked on uh the creed movies he's worked a little bit on mandalorian commu- yeah. community um and apparently he also co-produced uh the this is america song from oh uh, yeah you know yeah so uh, he's kind of like scattershot been around and and had his hand in a little bit of everything so i'm not sure if he reached out or if um, just the studio uh, needed someone who was not Hans Zimmer for this one <laughs> Um, I with, honestly would with, how kind of like a passion project the movie seems to be to Nolan I could see it that he probably reached out to him just out of interest like you know what mm-hmm. I'm doing a movie my way with the things I want to talk about and do my cool conceptual time based thing I'm gonna get a guy I want you know yeah. and i think i don't know if i don't know if hands consulted i don't know if i don't think he's credited though if he did no
0: i don't think so because i know that like because like i think like hans zimmer was like like nolan wanted him to do it but he said mm. no because he was doing dune instead
1: yeah um, which is fair i mean yeah, what do you say yeah. to that
0: well, yeah, I, I wonder how Nolan re- reacted to that, because Nolan seems like the kind of guy that you don't you don't slight him. He's like such as like Warner no. Brothers, he's like uh, the, the he will probably never make a movie with that production company ever again, because they released Tenet on streaming at the, around the same time as they did theaters and pissed him off. So that's probably.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think he's doing Oppenheimer with uh, WB mm-hmm. still.
0: I know. I think that's actually with Universal. It's like so. I oh? think he. I think he's he's changed production companies. Um, oh, that's yeah, a big a, loss for them. It is a big loss for them. It's like what else that's, do they have? <laughs> like
1: that's yeah. one of their guys that like really bolsters their numbers in the off like season yeah. when they're not just shitting out DC anything, movies.
0: anything DC or superhero <laughs> related. Yeah. Um So yeah. yeah it's so, a big loss. Yeah. So I think like that's why Hans Zimmer didn't do it. Um, and I have no idea if he like, if Nolan reached out, so it was like, but like, I know that this guy is like, um, what was his name again? The, the score, the composer for this movie? You uh, just Ludwig, Ludwig
1: Garanson.
0: Hmm. Cause I think he won an Oscar for Black Panther. Did he not? Yes. Yeah. He did that yeah. too. Yeah. So he was like um, Ryan Coogler's like kind of go-to guy for, for music. And yeah. He's like, he, it's a great score. Like it's a very, it is. Like, it's Zimmer-esque in the way that it's like a bunch of like tones more than melody. But apparently oh. it also can be listened to forward and backward and it'll sound yeah. like the same, which is yeah. amazing. <laughs> the uh the heist song
1: uh is one example of that, actually. Yeah, that's that's when you can perfectly play back to forward, I think, for the entirety. Um, but something like uh Satyr's Satyr's theme. I love Satyr's theme in this movie. It comes up like two times, and both times it's just this like it's just this really overbearing noise that just like beats down over you. And it's like just this, it's just a presence tone and it's just like, yeah, I'm here. Pay attention to me. I am, I am taking up the screen right now and it, and it fits the character so well. And it's just this, like, it's just this really like simple, dull beat followed by just that just yeah like almost an inception noise level of uh (laughs) recognizability there and really adds to the character in his in his like most uh um most like thrilling moments like when he's when he's berating cat and when he's like it's like the end of the battle almost and he's just sitting on the yacht waiting for everything to go off
0: yeah Yeah. great great thing yeah it is funny to think that if Elizabeth the Biggie had been successful in murdering Sator, like, when she threw him out of the boat, then it would yeah. that would have ended the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, no, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I was thinking about that, like, well, what you, cause, what, uh, well, I mean, she would have thrown him out, and then the heist wouldn't have happened, and then I don't even know what force had that but that they've like robbed that from i I think it was europe uh i want to say it was like some europe security force or
0: mm-hmm. something like that i don't know but yeah you, uh, you make a good point though that because this is like a very deterministic form of time travel that like to think of what would have happened is kind of useless because the, the the mantra they keep saying is like what's happened happened yeah, um, yeah and there is something really interesting to be said here about like it ends up being true what they they say at one point like the optimistic sense as as in like we know that the past isn't destroyed because it's still here like Mm -hmm. if is like um if we weren't successful then we wouldn't have uh it's like then at that stage it's like you know we we already know we would have already died like we wouldn't be able to sit here and have this conversation it's like it has already happened but It's like that is like kind of there is something interesting about the idea that despite knowing that you still have to play your role you still have to move forward you still have to do the things that you know need to happen for everything to Mm -hmm. play exactly as it is it's a very cool deterministic aspect that i haven't really seen done well in film even the movie arrival which kind of works off of the deterministic aspect of it which we talked about on a podcast is like episode on arrival it still has to inject things about choice into it is that in order to provide Mm. its emotional crux, unlike the book it's based off of, which is a hundred percent deterministic where the people who are aware of time travel actively try to play their roles. It's like almost Mm. being in a play and it becomes less about what is going to happen next. And more like, Oh, this is happening now. I have to hit my Mm, cue. Yeah. You can kind of feel that with the characters in this, especially Robert Pattinson near the end where he's like, that had to have been me. So i's like so I know what needs to happen yeah
1: and I feel like that part of it is kind of like a greater extension of the um uh the be, like opening introduction to the mechanic where the scientist is, is like uh again like you're not you're not shooting it you're catching it like yeah. and then he's like but cause has to or like uh cause has to have an effect you mm-hmm. know and yeah. and she's just like um, what does she say to that in response? Effectively, to just,
0: effectively just kind of like, that's the way we see the world. Yeah. Like yeah oh yeah. That's, that's yeah. how we
1: perceive it. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like a greater um, kind of expenditure on that going from just simple, like, Oh, I'm reacting to uh, this thing being thrown at me to like, Oh no, I have to, if I don't die, this whole thing is shot. You know, like if I don't do that, it's shot. And it also kind of like, throws weight onto uh like you can take that and kind of go backwards with it to the uh the pincer movement battle at uh at what is it costock 13 or whatever like the grand battle that kind of happens before that where it's like yeah we're gonna uh send in a team ahead and they're going to travel back in time and experience this fight in reverse and then give us the intel on what to expect when we send the forward team and it that's I don't even know if I want to get into the the Pincer Mechanic because it's so complex. Well,
0: there's but, a, like there's a there's a great quote from Friends where Chandler says, "I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited," <laughs> and that can pretty much describe my experience with the pit. I'm like, I get the general gist of why this is important. I'm not mm-hmm. going to focus on the like the like play by play mechanics. I'm just going mm-hmm. to take in the spectacle and wow, what a yeah. spectacle that is. <laughs> Oh, it it
1: was. It was fantastic. Um and yeah, I didn't like when they were sending people back on the boat, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like I I I saw, like so many other things on my first watch. It's just, "Wait, what is happening right now?" Um and then they explain it like, "Oh, we're we have these two teams meeting at this point in time uh with our team moving forward going off of the information of the people who came back." a week ago onto the boat or whatever after just doing this and like the idea that that like the concept of that is so horrifying in so many ways you know like the fact that someone had to sit down in a room much less a film department and plan that sequence out you know is just how much are you getting paid to do that (laughs) <laughs> because it's not enough. It's not enough to establish like this temporal Rube Goldberg shit to make it happen. Like the uh, like the signaling, like the fact that both teams have to go off of exploding the building at at the same time. Basically, like they they both have to take out their chunk, and that time inverted explosion is the signal for both teams to. Like leave the field and then enter the field or whatever, and that's so crazy to me that someone sat there and planned that. And no, it's yeah, a, the, like it's, you said, the spectacle.
0: Cool oh, the spectacle, all the spectacle, the spectacle,
1: like the guy getting flattened into the building as it's reforming.
0: That was terrifying. That like, that's that is horrifying. horrifying.
1: Yeah, <laughs> get baked into there forever. You were always part of the building, idiot. you (laughs) You didn't know you were were always
0: part of the you You (laughs) absolute buffoon oh can can you like the this there is like so much that can be done with this i was talking to my wife about it afterwards and she was like but Mm -hmm. did it make sense and i'm like (laughs) no like 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 to me like kind of but like it Mm -hmm. made sense in the way that i'm like i'm looking at i'm like if like, you know, what happens makes sense. But the fact that this is what happened, as opposed to any myriad of other things, like there's so many, it seems to me like there's so many other options that would have made more sense for everyone to do than what took place. Like, I, I still don't really understand why Sator decided to kill himself on the same day as he was putting that thing into the ground. Like, Clear, like um, honestly, do that. Like, you just keep going backwards, man. Just keep going backwards. It's like make the. Yeah. It's like and it's like and you know do it way before that or something. Or it's like it's like and then yeah, uh, like, I don't know. Or do it I, after? I, like, I mean,
1: like plot wise, it, 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 you can rationalize it and kind of by being like, oh he was big sad that he he was hated big sad. That, he, that he killed his wife. Yeah, that he, that hated him. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, one of those scenarios it, like, where like things make sense. But like I feel like there are other ways this yes. could have went down that would have made more sense, oh. but would have oh, been absolutely less interesting to watch. And so I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> absolutely. And that entire ending, you know, is just
1: Christopher Nolan was just like, I just wanna have a big time inverted fight. <laughs> And that was it. That was the drawing board. And everyone else in the production room was like, huh? Like, what What are you trying to do here? And he's just like, make it work.
0: <laughs> you will see. You'll all I, see.
1: I hired renowned actor Michael Caine to come here and say five lines. And you're going to make that scene work or this movie's going to flop.
0: That's actually a pretty good Michael Caine impression. actually.
1: It? <laughs> I can do a better one. I'm not going
0: to do it here, though. <laughs> well i i will as a, i will uh, await it off mic. <laughs> so I, I am interested in kind of like you've seen this movie multiple times now i've only managed to see it the one time it's like does the neil and um protagonist like relationship read different on a second viewing know what you knowing what you know
1: it's more it's more fun um but the problem is because when you realize that he's been there since the beginning, like he was there in the opera house, right? Like it was his backpack, his thing on the back of the backpack. So it's like, Oh, he's been there the whole time. And, and he enters into the room for the first time when they have their first actual meeting, he's all feverish. And it looks like he's just come from something. There's a lot of like fan interpretation that says that, Oh, he's just, you know, like he's just basically come back from, another time or something like that or like he's he's used the temporal uh inversion uh and he's just reeling from the effects of that or something like that so there's a lot of like weird theories that way but i'm i think it's i i think he has gone through it he explains that they know each other so they they must have he must know it they must have experienced it before and he and he says as much like he's gone through the test ives has gone through the test so they've they're, they're part of the tenant branch, essentially, of, of events. So um, I just find it so fun that on the first viewing, you know, you're watching that first interaction, and it plays Neil's kind of stringy, weird, um, weird kind of low theme, whatever, that little reluctant kind of theme that he has. And I thought that fit. Uh, just because of how he's presenting himself, but you get ever. I think everyone who watched it the first time was like, "Okay, there's something off here. Like, like there's clearly, clearly he knows him, or there's some sort of relation here uh, that we don't." Yeah, know Yeah, you about. have the,
0: like the Diet Coke right off the bat, as opposed to the soda water was the.
1: Yes, and he's just yeah. like, "No, you don't." Like, he's just like, yeah. "You don't drink that." Yeah,
0: and it's like, "Okay,
1: yeah," um, but it's yeah, it's a lot more fun to go through because you're kind of at first you're kind of seeing neil be sort of the suave lead you know where he's just like oh i'm the i'm the exotic one in this situation where i'm the one who's coming at this with a very kind of carefree attitude oh what are we blowing up today you know like you know that kind of super spy idyllic thing and i think the intention is for you to watch it and be like oh this guy's just he's just been through the ringer so many times and from, but from a different angle than John David Washington has and a different part of the world and that kind of thing. Um, But then uh, as the movie goes on, like Neil seems to get less professional and John gets more professional. (laughs) Like he's already, he's already professional, but like by the end, like when Neil is scrambling to get them out of the hole and he's like, Like, running past... Or, yeah, driving past himself in the car and, like, honking at them madly when they're going into the cave. He's like, God damn it! (laughs) to Run around the entire outside rim of the battle to go in through a different tunnel to go, like, find them and do all that. And uh, I just thought that was such a fun twist where, you know, at the beginning, John is the one kind of, like, on his feet a little bit. And while he's obviously, you know, more control you know because he's like the lead he kind of has to have that but the fact that he is kind of like flying off his seat and and coming up with like uh solutions to everything off the cuff like the uh thugs when he's talking to cat the first time he's just leading them to the kitchen and then working his way through that and then you know problem solves that um so it's, it's interesting to see both of their problem solving techniques on opposite ends of the movie where Neil's just scrambling to make this shit happen. And John seems to just like formulate, okay, I'm at point A, this is point B, this is what I have to do to get to point B. And how it just gets more and more focused for him as he goes along.
0: Yeah, well, it makes you wonder if like, what he picked up, is like or like what neil picked up from the protagonist over the course of their yeah. time together did he learn to become more like off the cuff well, yeah. like that fight scene where where he just uses where uh, John David Washington uses a cheese grater <laughs> to oh my like God. destroys so a human being is just one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, just just grater
1: on cheek, put the guy's head on the table and just, 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 just slide push. it. That's so that was so brutal. That was and then he yeah. I think he grated the guy's hand too, didn't he? Like the guy went to punch him, he just or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it yeah it's, it's just like it's one of those scenarios where like I feel like like the Neil and uh protagonist relationship is just ripe for fan fiction. There's so much you could do of like what their time was like together, because even though very little is given here, there's enough in that last scene between the two actors. I think the Nolan, as I think you said earlier relies heavily on his actors a lot of times in order to provide the kind of emotional like anchor. And I Mm -hmm. think they do manage to pull some emotionality out of that last uh, situation and oh, yeah, i think going like into a second viewing it'll be, be even better for me
1: mm-hmm. yeah definitely like just i think you'll appreciate their little moments together even more yeah. um i definitely did like when they're just when they're planning out their uh heists and and uh the scaling the building to talk to priya and stuff and he's like i hate heights and, and like you know all that little shit uh that, yeah. that bubbles up as they're getting to know each other and stuff, it's, it's great. It just gets magnified even more when you know that this person knew this other person for a huge chunk of his life. And it's too bad that it has to be right. It' a great summary I've heard of that is you're literally getting two halves of a friendship and you never get to see the whole thing played out because you'll never see Neil's original interactions with the guy yeah like you're just you're just seeing the latter half and uh and then john is just getting ready to see the way what okay while we're talking about this Mm -hmm. do you do you subscribe to the max neil theory or have you heard it
0: what's the max neil theory
1: so cat's son is named Uh... max And okay, so here's the dumb part of this theory. Okay, you ready for this? I'm ready. So, what is Max short for? Maximilian. Maximilian. Yeah. What are the last four letters? Uh, N E I L. uh, Oh. Oh. He also has the same hair color. He does. And and uh. So he was asked to dye his hair for the movie uh, is one Mm -hmm. thing. And he was also asked to adapt a similar accent to um, to cat for the movie. So that seems like a lot of conditioning for happenstance and also kind of the last shot as well, where he's kind of it's more folk. It's not focused on cat and max walking away mm-hmm. it's just focused on max as they're yeah. as they're hand-holding and walking away and you spend no time with the kid mm-hmm. you you see him get picked up and and driven back and forth from places but you never hear a peep out of him or anything so for them to end the movie on the protagonist in his car watching them walk away and and the camera for to be intentionally focusing on max for that long it's very much it's very similar to that inception like ah but what if like you know yeah. trying to lead you into that uh, uh way of thinking and and like it kind of works until you think about the fact that he would have had to been inverted for half of his life to get back to the point where he met the protagonist at the opera theater
0: mm-hmm. so
1: yeah. i so you could posturize that as like oh well clearly the protagonist had the full device in the future and and just sent him back like Terminator style or something like that, or it's like a more sophisticated version of the inversion where it's more yeah. controlled. So that's the only thing that, you know, I can think of that posits on that theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is one that's kind of surfaced uh, because, so what, what are your thoughts on that with everything I've, I've presented?
0: I think that's a cool theory. I would like to mm-hmm. rewatch it with that in mind to see how Neil okay. interacts with cat. Throughout the course of their, is like because if that is his mother, yeah. uh, I would be interested to see how it's like if there's anything given away in the performance that would kind of oh. hint at that. Um, the one other thing too is that
1: um, Neil, at the uh, towards the end when they've just finished going through the terminal the second time, mm-hmm. and they're and they've got Cat back up and running again and and you know all that, and they're setting up the plan right about where to intercept Seder and and to set up the uh uh attack yeah uh neil is the one who mentions to cat uh where they are in the in the bering sea or wherever like he he tells her where the yacht is that Seder is at mm. which mm-hmm. is interesting because like yeah she was she was there two weeks ago so she should know but yeah. the fact that Neil's the one that interrupts and says it's here when he should yeah. have no knowledge of that at all mm-hmm. is, is pretty damning evidence of that. But that I, and I think that's like the only interaction they do really have.
0: Yeah. Well, they, she's conscious. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, so it's, it's kept pretty
1: brief. You should, I don't know. Yeah. You should, I well, should watch it again, I guess, and, and find out and see if there's, uh,
0: yeah, it's like, because like the thing that you're saying about how he'd have to spend most of his life is true is like unless like um it's really a bunch of back and forth like mm. he spent like a couple years going back a couple years going forward a couple years going back a couple years going forward that eventually yeah. accumulate in like a character who is now in his 30s or however old yeah. Robert Pattinson's supposed to be in this oh time. he was
1: probably most definitely at least trained in inversion for mm-hmm. uh parts of his life before that mm-hmm. he probably wasn't hard hard sent back and then because he's, he's used to it he knows all the rules of the oxygen and everything so yeah what the inverted fire what yeah. are, what are your thoughts on that because i have thoughts and have talked about it with matt uh mm-hmm. who also had thoughts so i would like to hear your thoughts on the uh, how the inverted fire from the inverted uh lighter that came out of the inverted man's inverted coats pocket lit the inverted gas out of the inverted car, uh, but then created an inverse effect of not creating heat, but instead creating cold.
0: Yeah. So it's one of those scenarios where I don't think the car is inverted. Like he's driving that... it in the inverted state, but he just kind of picked it up off the street, uh, right? So like Actually
1: I think the car is inverted. So because... how could the car be inverted? The car is inverted. I, well, I don't think it's through that machine, mm. but I think the car is inverted because uh, if you watch, there's a, there is a car in that shop with mm. a tarp on it. Mm. So cars... So there's a chance that a car has been inverted at some point. But also, I'm pretty sure that car, when he drives it, I think the smoke coming out of the tires is a is a giveaway that that the car itself is fighting the um, uh, inverse or it's not fighting the inverse world around it but it's trying to drive you know in the inverted space so the fact that it's able to do that i think I, i don't think it would be able to do that if it wasn't inverted
0: well I th- unless I was, like, it was just like
1: fudging it for you know you see, yeah
0: i'm not like. sure because like as you said like when he drives it like it's like the the dust is coming out the wrong end or something like mm. that it's like yeah which leads yeah, me to yeah. believe that like because he's inverted he's perceiving this thing at like as as like the other way around so the car is actually okay. in our time like moving our time like forward but his mm. ability to drive it is kind of like because, you know, he's imparting will on it. It's doing what it's supposed to do. But yet the the physics of it still are messing up with. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That, like that sort of stuff becomes difficult. At the same time, like yeah. the heat transfer aspect. Like, I don't know. that I'm not sure if that makes any sense. That the fact that if time were to go backwards, you'd, you'd get cold instead of hot. Like it doesn't change the well, actual heat transfer. It's like. um,
1: So, well, so we. It. The thing that we talked about was that we figured since 90% of the reaction is inverted, that I don't think it's... Like, the gas is inverted, the flame uh, and the oil in the thing is inverted. So, fine. Okay, you have an inverted reaction there. Like, the fire is going to create that um, explosive effect on the inverted gas. Fine. They're both moving in the same trajectory. Fine. Mm -hmm. But... I think in the space of the, the science fiction, it works because, and it, it's a shame that they kind of like side brush it a little bit because yeah, it happens so fast. You're like, wait, what? Like they like bring it up beforehand that uh, if, if uh, you catch on fire, it, you know, you'll get too cold. And then they bring it up after the fact. He gets hyperthermia or whatever. Yeah. But um, the fact that it's able to trail on the gas properly fine okay it's all of it is hypothetically inverted property fine and then it's just that the reaction that's happening uh as far as like inverted particulate or whatever i think that is where it kind of gets fuzzy a little bit where Mm -hmm. it's just like okay the inverted particulate is now fighting against you know the inverted uh world uh, trying to push back against it so it it must be just causing an inverse effect but it's yeah it's so weird and tiny wimey you know wobbly science yeah um, i thought it was a fun effect um but yeah i wanted to hear your thoughts on that and see if you bought into that at all or if you were just like okay <laughs> you know like yeah, because i was
0: i was very much like ah, okay when i watched it yeah i kind of just like wrote it off as like all right, that's a convenient way to get your protagonist out of a situation where he should have yes. died and then to wake up where he yeah. needed to be with like Robert Pattinson inexplicably. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is like, this is like, you know, the classic end of chapter where yeah. he like wakes up the next chapter in this different place. And we're just kind of be like, okay, well, I suppose things happened off screen. That is like, that that is probably the weakest part of the film to me in terms of things that actually make sense. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It's just kind of like, well,
1: I can't possibly, you know, do this calculation because you're not really demonstrating it to me. You're just kind of explaining the aftermath. Like yeah. the gun the gun bullet thing is simple enough. It's like, okay, you know, this is a straight, you know, um this is a straight transfer of of physical objects, you know. I throw rock, I catch rock, you know. That's yeah. that's fine. And I'm reacting to catching rock. That's that's mm-hmm. what's happening there. Reaction is a deterministic. That's cool. But yeah. The, yeah this is just like left to the wind a little bit and it's it's too bad because on paper because he wakes up in the hypothermia and like wait you can do that kind of chemical reaction with this that's neat you should have explored that more and you should have explained it better and then the movie just moves on
0: and never comes back to anything close to that well with that i think we're going to get into the conclusion section Section four, conclusion. Um, for those of you who don't know, the conclusion comes at the end. Yep, yeah, yep. Guar- uh, guaranteed, unless you're inverted, then I suppose you're watching, listening to this uh, first. But you know, it was like, well, you no, be, you, uh you get to this, you get to the end of this, and then you
1: uh, listen to it again, is what yeah, you just have to do. Just go backwards. It you have to like, listen you'll to, you'll four to it four times before you can absorb everything that we that we talked about.
0: Yeah, it was like it's it's big brain time for sure. Yeah, it's like um. So here is like in most podcasts would be the portion where we give the movie a rating on some numerical scale that we have uh, clinking around in our own head. Uh, But uh, I kind of find the idea of rating movies on a single numerical scale to be kind of stupid because how are you going to compare something like Tenet, the weird timey-wimey sci-fi extravaganza to something like About Time, the timey-wimey rom-com starring Domhnall Gleeson? Like... You can't do it. They are both good movies at their own things, but to put them on a single numerical scale is just a disservice to both films. So instead of what we do here is we actually compare our film against other films that do one particular thing. So we're only looking at the numerical scale for that one particular thing. And in order to be able to tell you um, kind of what a successful version of that thing is, we give you a positive control, which is 100% success. And then we also give you a negative control, which is 0% success in that one particular thing. Um, so would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? Um, You can you can go first. Cool. So I'm going to be measuring Tenet against other films that are part of what I'm calling the reclamation of Robert Pattinson post-Twilight. Um, yes. So Robert Pattinson was, you know, we all know he was Edward in Twilight. That was his big break. He was also yep. Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter. Um, but that yep. people forget that a little bit. Um, and then ever since then, ever since he, sh- like, shucked off the the shackles of Twilight, he has been making really interesting films. It's like um, really cool choices, working with a lot of interesting, like, kind of auteurs, including, like, Claire Denis for the movie High Life, and uh, the, mo- is like, the Safdie brothers for the movie Good Time uh and mm-hmm. also robert eggers in the movie the lighthouse which is going to be my hundred oh. percent of like an indication of how we reclaim robert pattinson from oh. twilight that's a good what one that's a good <laughs> pick <That's laughs> it's a good, a good movie. movie it's a very good movie i love like, that movie yeah it's fantastic. a it's fantastic and um and then this would be the part where i would put a negative control a zero yes. percent um but I honestly haven't seen a Robert Pattinson performance post Twilight that I didn't enjoy, um, hmm. and so I can't really provide that zero percent. Except to say that I guess maybe the Rover wasn't as good as other movies, <laughs> so I guess that's the zero percent. But it, we're like we're still okay. dealing pretty high here. Like the zero yeah. percent for this scale is actually pretty close to a hundred. There's not yeah. much in between.
1: He's, he's batting pretty high lately weirdly disinterested as he seems to be in hollywood he's doing he's doing gangbusters for them right now
0: yeah, i think he's managed to find a bunch of directors who are also pretty uninterested in hollywood it's like and then just kind of like yes. run with it so if we're gonna have the lighthouse be 100 percent and the rover be zero percent in terms of the reclamation of robert pattinson post twilight mm-hmm. i'm gonna put tenet in this case at around a let's go with 62.2 percent um (laughs) like to be clear Tenet this itself is a much higher movie than this but in terms of Mm. in comparison to other films that have reclaimed Robert Pattinson if I saw this movie without any other context other than Twilight I would be like oh that's a good performance from him a lot of jaw Mm. action going on he's acting a lot with his jaw and how he says it that's that's cool Um, probably a one-off though and wander off as opposed to things like the lighthouse and good time where like, it's just a tour de force. You are literally just trapped in a room with him as this character for an hour and a half to two hours and you cannot help but be impressed. Um, so as much as I do like Neil in this, and I think that Robert Pattinson did a great job because he is so relegated to the side, because he is so important for the exposition. All he can really give us is his kind of hints at a deeper character beneath it. And while he does a good job of it, it just can't compare to something like the lighthouse for that.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I can I can agree with that. I I really did enjoy him in this though. Like I yes, like e- like you even if even if you saw this as a worse performance, right? Mm-hmm. In general, I still think it's like a top notch performance. Like he's easily competing up there with close to what. Uh, jdw is doing and and uh what kenneth Branagh is doing and all those guys like he's really putting in his time so
0: oh yeah I he's really that. putting his time he's doing a great job it's just that the i think it's nothing to do with his performance as much as <laughs> the movie is not as full not of playground not play. for him as not it utilizing is for... him as exactly. much as they
1: could have look yes. at the untapped well of potential that you left behind <laughs> on in the lighthouse. <laughs> yes
0: give us a, a tenant sequel which would be called isaac like, i tenant i i suppose um yeah yeah it's like it'll be uh it'll be great it's like uh and then you can put neil as the protagonist the new protagonist we always the need a new, new protagonist. protagonist yeah um okay how about you what is your conclusion on measuring tenet um
1: my measurement model um and something we didn't really talk about too much was the espionage aspect of the movie mm, yeah um this is very much a movie that he modeled after uh, spy Flix. Like he
0: definitely, it's it's
1: it's definitely part of the uh, Bible of of how he wrote the movie. Is he really <laughs> wanted to do like a classic style espionage movie? So that is the measurement method I'm going by, which is spy action movies. Hmm. Uh, and as a positive control, uh, I put the uh 97 is it 97 uh movie uh goldeneye mm, uh yeah. that now look you can you can hate Pierce Brosnan all you want as a 007 role, okay mm-hmm. but that being his first outing uh I love that movie to kind death. of a slam dunk really like it's an absolute <laughs> slam dunk like
0: yeah.
1: like Sean Bean Sean Bean is amazing in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, Oh, who else do you have in that movie? You have so many good people in that movie. Is that the first outing? That is the first outing for, um, the new, uh, new M, um, Oh, for
0: Judy Dench. Yeah. Judy yeah. That was the first. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So a lot of firsts in that movie. And then it was also kind of like a parting ways for, but, but as far as like a, like a spy action thriller movie with a lot of exciting set pieces, that involve vehicles Uh, the tank sequence and the train sequence are both phenomenal Um, and it's not quite it's not so much of a heady movie as tenant or anything like that but i i feel so much as far as like uh pure espionage and pure action i think it's just top notch um so that'll be my positive control rating uh my negative control rating will be tuxedo starring jackie chan (laughs) <laughs> um,
0: and Jennifer now, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt Is that her
1: name? Yes Now I was going to go with I Spy Because I also hate that movie Even though people seem to love that movie But some some people seem to love that movie I've never understood But t- I feel like Tuxedo is a special kind of bad uh, Whereas when I was thinking about it And I was like You know I watched that movie when I was a kid One time for a rental And I can't remember anything about it uh, and I went and watched the trailer, and there's a grotesque moment where it shows Jackie Chan running in the suit it like the suit gives him all these spy abilities right it's, it's it's what it's the foil that allows him to do his weird jackie Chan things right um but one of those things is that he can run as fast as a car like it gives him kind of a superpower edge on top of his usual jackie Chan and it's not him running. Because I watched that trailer and it's clearly a guy in a bad rubber mask running alongside a car, and I I stopped the trailer and and hands zoomed in on it, and and he literally turns and faces the camera directly. And they were bold enough to they did not give a fuck about that movie and just decided ah we'll just leave that in that's a, that's a bad cut but we'll just leave it. in. So that'll be my negative control.
0: That is a perfect negative control. I remember that movie sadly very well, and that and <laughs> I Spy, they they both fall under what my sister and I call like the best movies in the world according to us when we were twelve. And yes. like for some oh, reason when, when I was, I was 12, younger, I did not like that movie. For but some reason I, I just loved Tuxedo. But I like to be fair. I, it's like I had a well because I loved Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights, which are also that's that's yeah, it's like yeah also iffy in terms like in some cases but you know some of the best like jackie chan action that the west has been able to produce um and so then like the tuxedo came out i'm like okay this is cool and i remember there being some cool things and i remember that the plot was quite strange in terms of they had this weird like toxin that was going to like desiccate people if they like drank it from water and it was going yeah. to be like oh, they were distributed poise- by water striders those like they were
1: bugs. you going the water supply with the bomb. Oh my God, I forgot about the box. Oh, and then like there
0: about about the the was there was like the whole thing at the end, like the big way that they beat the um, the villain at the end, because he has his own tuxedo now, and he's got them both by the neck, and so then Jackie Chan oh. puts a cigarette in Jennifer Love Hewitt's like uh, mouth because. The tuxedo will immediately, like, as soon as it happens, reflect to, like, light a lighter and, like, uh, and light the cigarette, which relieves Jackie oh Chan open to God. punch him in the face a bunch of times. Like, I remember those things and I'm like, I can look back and I'm like, okay, those are kind of clever. But then, yeah, I'm pretty sure everything around it is just terrible. is just terribly made and not good. And Jackie it Chan is. at one point lip syncs to get on up y'all by by james brown
1: and you you remembered so much more of that movie than i ever wanted to (laughs) and now i've got it right back i literally just flashed back right into that shit and i now remember it frame for frame so you know i guess i don't really have anyone to blame but myself for that
0: but Okay, well,
1: moving moving
0: (sighs) away from the tuxedo, where does tenant fall in terms of espionage between one hundred percent and zero percent? Goldeneye versus tuxedo? Oh, definitely right beside tuxedo. No, just right at the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) No, it no,
1: it's it's good. Um, I I liked the suave uh, nature of JDW and Neil as they as they navigate into these places that they're trying to infiltrate into like like the infiltration into the um, airport uh, kind of like um, it's not it's not just like an art place. it's like it's like valuable storage or whatever right yeah him like navigating in there and uh, that's kind of one of those unfortunate sound things where they put the the main theme music over it and cut off a bunch of uh, exposition that he was like yeah. okay we don't need this but I mean, it was. I liked it. I liked it with the with the staging, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it kind of rude to cut that guy off like that. Anyway, um, yeah, I I enjoyed that aspect of it, uh, and I think that they did it well. Uh, as far as like car chases go in spy movies, it's it's kind of a given at this stage, like between born between 07, between like all the like high name ones that everyone is used to. Uh, yeah. It was nice that this one also had one and it was probably one of the cooler ideas. Yep. Um, as well as, uh, I actually love the heist Soma and the heist theme is, is so good. It's just another one of those big trappy, bassy, yeah. wub, wub, wub songs
0: that <laughs>
1: is just going over, uh, this action of, uh, the the trucks like pincering the van with the artifact piece inside of it while jdw is not stunt doubling uh climbing across that and cutting open the hatch and going in and everything and yeah it was just a great uh great conceptual espionage um i don't know on rewatch i don't really appreciate it so much i like the plane jacking plan and and all that fun dialogue there and it's it's got about as much fun when it shows up as like Inceptions did, but I feel like Inception just had, because of the nature of that movie, it just had, mo- it just had more of it. So you're not getting as much of that in this movie, as opposed to like straight up action and the and timey wimey shit and, mm-hmm. um, and the character moment to moment interaction and stuff like that. But I think as far as the uh, like spy action, I think it's, good and I would put it on the latter side uh, by GoldenEye it's got enough um, weird campy shit in there as well to also kind of root it that way so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable doing that <laughs>
0: So ends another episode of the arts union science podcast. Uh, first, we have to do a big thanks to our first author, David. Thank you so much for, in your words, haranguing me into, uh, into doing this. It's like, but honestly, anytime you want to come back, this has been a blast. So anytime you wanted to it, like record another one, just let me know, harangue me once more and we will, uh, we'll make oh, it. Happen. I will. I will. I'll also harangue LG uh,
1: and their high end uh, televised products that they, that they serve into yeah, giving like, you a sponsorship that you that you deserve at this point the,
0: the mail campaign starts today, start pummeling <laughs> LG with all of your letters your social media, out, it's like outcry your mail, it's like by the end of the decade we'll get an LG sponsorship into one of these episodes, mark my words
1: we'll make it happen, we'll make it happen and all of their all of their high-end uh, video display uh, devices uh, that service millions across the nation. Um, every customer a happy one. Um, you're, yeah, You're
0: already doing it. Don't give it away for free. <laughs> we also have to give a big thanks to Brett Kinrad for our long-awaited it's like theme music, which is now here and trumpeting glaringly in the background as this is playing. And also to our uh, fabulous editor, Felicity Janes. If you'd like to provide a review of our submissions, feel free to email us at artsunionscience at gmail.com, all one word with no caps. You can tell us if you accept our findings, accept them with revisions, or, or I reject them. Me and academia are used to rejection and won't take it personally. Thanks again for listening, make sure to join us again in two weeks' time for another submission to the Arts Union Science Journal. Your session with the Arts Union Science Journal has expired. Please try again later.